Hello and welcome to the podcast, How Did You End Up Here? I'm Jamie here and I'm talking to people in interesting jobs and finding out what path they took to get there. This week is an interview I did by phone in 2008 with Bill Harry who coined the phrase Mersey Beat and founded the newspaper of the same name in 1961. A classmate and friend of John Lennon, he was perfectly positioned to document the rise of the music scene on Merseyside which ultimately conquered the world. One note before the interview is that in 2008, Liverpool was the European city of culture and I spoke to Bill a few days before the city hosted the MTV Music Awards. The music scene in Liverpool was really created by all those promoters. Mm. They did all the venues. There were literally hundreds of venues. Yeah. I've just had a thing from Dave Forshaw, uh, one of the uh, promoters who booked the Beatles and all the other groups. And... Um, you know, he was, uh, you know, sort of saying he did all the all the gigs for the groups and they promoted all over the place, you know. And it, it said that these sort of people who were the pioneers of the, of the of the music and gave the opportunity to all the bands and the groups and everything, he was saying that they, in those days, they'd had um, three or four or even five groups on a single night. Yeah. They gave the word. That's how it was. The thing is, like when people go on about Hamburg, I mean, when the Beatles went to Hamburg as the second Liverpool group to go there, yeah. there was only the Kaiser Keller Club and the top ten club, just two clubs. The Ender Club just shut down, that had been really a strip club, but there were only two clubs. In Liverpool, there were hundreds. People were playing in every venue, in, in, in the ice rink, yeah. swimming baths, synagogues, yeah. churches, everywhere, you know, the whole yeah. thing. And it was all the, you know, all the groups had rivals so they can better themselves and compete to play the music. Yeah. You know, whereas, uh, and it, the Kaiser kind of closed in Hamburg, so you just had the Star Club and um, and the Top Ten Club. So, yeah. in other words, the Star Club became like Hamburg's cavern. Yeah. And in which all the people forget all the other things that happen, you see. Sure. I mean, I've read that there was there was about 300 venues in Liverpool, is that right? And were they oh, regularly Oh, yes. I mean, for instance, like, uh, uh, one of the, the Britain's biggest uh, uh, Christian group was the Crossbeats. There were mm. all Christian groups playing all over the place. They did over 700 uh, appearances in Liverpool and all the churches, church halls, all the rest of that. There were about, must have been a couple of hundred uh, churches and church halls which had all the Christian groups playing. There's a whole slew of Christian groups which nobody ever writes about. Mm. I mean, the crossbeats were recorded in, in, in the uh, Christian music press at the time as sort of Christian, the Christian Beatles almost, <laughs> because they were the number one group. They made records of original material, which are big collector's items now, you know? Yeah, sure. Then, of course, there was the country music scene. Mm-hmm. Now, they had their own Grand Ole Opry, they had the Country Music Association, and how Walter said, they had a list of over 110 country music bands who joined the Merseyside Country Music Association. Liverpool was called the Nashville of the North. It had the biggest country music scene in the, in the whole of Europe. Yeah. And you had a group like the Hillsiders who went to, 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 Germ, uh, to uh, America and became the very first uh, British group ever to appear on the Grand Ole Opry. And they recorded with George Hamilton Jr. and all the um, American uh, all the country music, music stars. Then you had the black music scene with the Chants and uh, Derry Wilkie and Steve Aldo. You had the great black musicians. And eventually, because I think at the time, 
British audience, well, the kids who bought record singles sure. didn't buy them by British black artists at the time, but eventually uh, members of the chance which evolved into the real thing, and they eventually got their number one in the charts, the real thing, with the Utamir everything. Yeah. And then you had the uh, biggest folk group in the whole of Britain at the time was the Spinners. Right. So basically you had all this fantastic musical uh, hotbed of talent and all people seem to think about is sort of the Beatles and lots of lots of the Liverpool people and the musical heritage think the Beatles the problem with the Beatles it tends to overshadow everything else and people don't realize the fantastic brilliant groups that were there many didn't make it because London wouldn't allow it yeah the A&R men uh, TV people radio people made a decision we, we don't want any more from Liverpool. We won't have it, no matter how talented. We, we want balanced programmes. We won't have. We don't want uh, groups to keep on coming out of Liverpool. You know. Sure. Because I, I was going. I was going to ask you. I, I even read on your on your website the the, the phrase persona non grata. They just mm -hmm. wouldn't wouldn't listen to Liverpool That's at all. That's right. Or? They didn't want to know. And there's great groups and great singers who were never to make it because their work, records weren't promoted or the record companies just sort of dropped them. Some even went to sabotage the Tiger Records. I'll give you an example. Mm. Uh, Joe Butler, a member of the Hillsiders, he goes up to his manager, Spencer Nation, he says, I found a great country music group we'd love to record. So they go to the uh, A&R man, who was Noel Walker at Decker, and say, we've got this fantastic number that we want to record as a single. So he says, hey, listen to it. He says, yeah, that really is good. And in fact, it's so good, we'll let you record it with an orchestra. So we'll book an orchestra. So the group were all keen to record this number that they discovered. And then Noel Walker turned around and said, I've given it to somebody else. Mm. Engelbert Humperdinck, it was Release Me. Really? You know, and things like that happen to Liverpool groups all the time. And that was because the, the, the Beatles was kind of so dominant around the world that they thought, well... Oh, no, it's not because the Beatles are so dominant. It's because London didn't want more and more groups from the same place. Liverpool, sure. um, because the, all, all the agencies were in London. The Harold Davis Agency, which, which had the contracts of all the major stars, comedy stars, uh, the uh, television stars, everything. You had uh, <coughs> the Great Brothers, who had the Royal Variety Show, Moss Empire, Sunday Night at the London Palladium. You had uh, uh, Leslie, Lou and Leslie Gregg, you had uh, owned ATV, uh, ATV Television, mm. which did pop shows like Thank You Lucky Stars. Sure. You know, and, and then all the major media yeah. was in London. Music publishing companies were in London. When um, Fallon's Flamingos went down and recorded Do You Love Me, a blistering version, we were at this session. And we thought, this is a number one. The AMR man said, this is a number one, right? And thought, do you love me? This, the way they'd done this, this number, because the, the Motown version was just a vocal thing. You know, the, the concerts were a vocal group. But Franz Flingos did a rock and roll version, which they'd arranged. And suddenly, when, when it came out, they'd put it on the B-side, and it got no place. Yeah. And Brian pulled the tremolos, and the Dave Clark Five uh, covered Fallon's version, copied Fallon's version, and, and established them. And that kind of thing went on all the time. Liverpool groups were definitely sabotaged, no doubt about that. Did, did London resent it a little bit? That oh, Liverpool... they did. And, and they even tried to kill the Beatles. Really? I mean, when Dave Clark came out, all the headlines in the papers was, the Tottenham sound kills the Mersey sound. Right. And the Royal Cartoons, the Evening Standard, saying, hold the Beatles are has-beens and all this business. 
and there was a campaign in Nationals to build up Dave Clark as bigger than the Beatles because, um, you know, they wanted a London superstar, you know, to, to get rid of these upstarts from Liverpool and the provinces. And it's really ironic <coughs> that not only did the Dave Clark Five sort of just copy Fan's version of Do You Love Me, that when they went uh, promoted in the States, the advert says, call them the Mersey Group with the Liverpool Sound. And when I went to the Motown Museum in, in Detroit, mm-hmm. there's a photograph of the Dave Clark Five mm-hmm. with the Supremes, and it says Liverpool meets Detroit. Yeah. So they were they were trying to kind of take yeah. take the spotlight away. Exactly. Sure. And can I, why do you think it ha- this happened in Liverpool as opposed to happening in a city like Manchester or Birmingham or even Glasgow? Well, for instance, there's another aspect of that, like London. Oh. Though Liverpool at the time had a larger population, um, Manchester was regarded as the capital of the north mm-hmm. because the headquarters of the BBC Television and Granada Television were in Manchester. The um, BBC radio of the northern part of it was in Manchester. The northern editions of every national newspaper was in Manchester. So all the, the, the news coming out on radio, TV and newspapers in the north had a Manchester bias. Right. Liverpool was basically shoved away. And, you know, so what happened in Liverpool happened without anybody knowing, gradually building up. In, in sort of isolation, creating this fantastic scene with nobody realised. I was writing to the newspapers at the time, saying what was happening in Liverpool was unique. It was like New Orleans at the, um, at the turn of the century, but with rock and roll instead of jazz. But, of course, no one took any notice. <laughs> so I started my own newspaper to plug it, you know? Yes. And that, was that, was that what, I mean, what was it that inspired you to, to sort of start the magazine? Just the, the scene itself? Or? Well, me, John Lennon... Stuart Sutcliffe and Rod Murray mm. made a vow in the crack pub in Liverpool when we were art students. Mm. And we, made, we called ourselves the dissenters, and we made a vow to make Liverpool famous. John would do it with his music, Stuart and Rod with their painting, and I'd do it with my writing. Mm-hmm. And, so that, and that was... Um, and you, mean you, you, you certainly succeeded. You couldn't, you couldn't argue that. That, uh, you know, you didn't succeed. It's um, obviously John and, and yourself as well. You... Uh, if you fact you encouraged John's poetry that um... oh it did and, he, and his writing and everything like that I think it was a bit shy of his writing but I thought it was um, fantastic you know and uh, I loved the, the writing you know and he ended up with the books um, in his own right and Spanish that's right because I used to publish his works and I used to give it the pseudonym Beat Coma sure you know and, and... Why do you think, as I, as I say, though, what was her elements was there in Liverpool, maybe socially, well, that, that well, inspired Well, there was us? lots of things. As I said, there was, um, I mean, Liverpool had the, um, had the first Chinatown in Europe. Chinatown, which established only a year or two after the, after the one in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But I looked, looked for a Chinese beat group and I couldn't find one, but I, I think there was probably one there. But it was, it, it was many elements that, that created the Mersey scene. One, as I mentioned, was all these young promoters who created uh, music in every venue, every dance hall. They were taking the risk, putting the money up to book all these groups. So what you had was the thing of places where hundreds and hundreds of groups could play and compete with each other. And as I said, three or four groups on the same bill. In, in an evening, right all over Merseyside, Southport, Formby, Crosby, Runcorn, 
um, Widnes, uh, Ellesmere Port, the Wirral, New Brighton, all over. Hundreds of groups playing and uh, competing with each other. Mm. Also, the type of music that they played was inspired by a certain type of American rock and roll. They're all the, the major ones like uh, uh, Little Richard and sort of Jerry Lee Lewis and Carl Perkins and people like that, but also the R&B artists. And the groups would look for the obscure records. There is that story about the Canard Yanks, but that didn't really have mm-hmm. any major effect on the music scene. And I don't think the maritime heritage had all that much to do. Uh, I think because a lot of the Canard Yanks were bringing records by Rosemary Clooney and Frank Sinatra and things like that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and 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 the, 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 in, in the uh, Toxteth area. The black groups were influenced a lot by do what music, and they used to get a letter, uh, lots of records from the guys in Burton Wood, because there was a big American base just outside of Liverpool, Burton Wood, mm-hmm. where lots of people got the records from. Lots of the groups were able to get records from there. But basically, all the records, say in the Beatles repertoire that weren't their own, they could get from the local record stores. And like they'd go into NEMS and they'd ask to play the B-sides of the records to try and find, you know, numbers which other groups mm-hmm. weren't playing. And this was part of the competition that they had with them. Mm-hmm. But I'd say one of the biggest things was the fact that there were so many venues and places to play. So in other words, all these groups were having a fantastic training ground, mm-hmm. you know, where they were able to develop their music. Yeah. And I think this was quite unique in Britain. No, Manche- Manchester, we used to go to Manchester and like we'd be taken around by groups like the Dakotas, but the bits, nightclubs and, 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 and things like that and uh, yeah. solo singers and, and it was uh, auditions for all kinds of uh, everything from strippers onwards. Strippers were banned in Liverpool, yeah. but Manchester had strip clubs, cabaret clubs, all that. It was a different sort yeah. of real style of music. So the Manchester groups who we really liked and got on with, were playing at the cavern. Right. Uh, uh, let's see, Herman's Hermits, the Hollies, Freddie and the Dreamers. Freddie and the Dreamers heard the Beatles play um, If You Want to Make a Fool of Somebody at the cavern and went and recorded it and had the big number two or three hit. <laughs> and um, the animals were actually discovered at the cavern. Henry Henry saw them at the cavern, phoned Mickey Most and arranged for them to go down to London and audition for Mickey Most. Hermit's mm-hmm. um, Hermit at the cavern. You know, so the cavern then became, was important not only for the Beatles, but for groups who came from Newcastle, Manchester, Sheffield, all over. They'd all come to the cavern. Wouldn't go to London, they'd come no. to the cavern. And lots of them were discovered by playing at the cavern. And Liverpool was, it was maybe just a bit more accessible to be able to play in Liverpool uh, with so many venues. Yes, it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we had all the groups from Birmingham come up. Sure, rather than go down. How important do you think what happened in Liverpool was for the rest of Britain in terms of, you know, bringing other bands which like the, well, the Kings, well, the Rolling Stones? What Stone. Liverpool did was to break the barrier in, in London. It was like um, a, a, a dam, which was a leak in the dam, and all the groups from the provinces were able to get through before London plugged it up again. Mm-hmm. Because as a result, groups from the provinces finally were able to make it. Because prior to the Liverpool bands, you had to go down to London, uh, or A&R men wouldn't, wouldn't want to know you. They wouldn't travel outside of London, 
you know. Mm-hmm. And groups have to travel all the way from Glasgow or Newcastle or anywhere to go down to London to try and wander around and uh, the, the, the clubs and try and get in now and then to listen to them and things, you know. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and London is right at the bottom of the country. And at the yeah. time, there were no motorways. It was the A roads. Yeah. And even from Liverpool, it'd take you eight hours to get down to London by a car or something. Mm. And God knows how long it took from Glasgow yeah. to stay overnight. <laughs> Double, yeah. So, but, but with what happened in Liverpool, a Norman had to go out and they had to get uh, groups from around the uh, country, or, or, you know, or, apart from London. And, um, of course, it was the type of music that the Liverpool groups created. You know, because the charts were full, apart from Cliff Richard and the Shadows and the lots of instrumentals, there were uh, television scenes mm. and the solo singers yodeling and all that kind of stuff in the British charts and comedy records and Bernard Cribbins and all that. Yeah. And uh, they weren't appealing to the kids mm-hmm. because the radio was controlled by people a generation above us. There'd been workers' playtime and, uh, you know, all that kind of pr- family favourites, all mm. that kind of programming the kids want to listen to something they try and tune into radio luxembourg yeah you know they're a bit of rock and roll or something of course so they were, they were bypassing the sort of establishment at the yeah. time yeah. and what do you think of a lot of liverpool acts that emerged after the kind of 50s and 60s from people like echo and the bunny men oh, the you see it kept on going i mean at one period i, I documented in one week mm. where you had over eight liverpool bands in the top 20 yeah. I mean, in fact, I, um, in the early 70s, I was asked to take over Liverpool Express and our kid. Liverpool Express were number one, our kid number two. Then Buster were in the charts and also Superchars were in the charts. And people thought, oh, is it happening again? And then, of course, punk happened. Right. But in the meantime, there was Eric's and all the groups coming out of there. And there have been groups and, 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 and talented people from Liverpool ever since because the music never died. It kept on. Mm-hmm. It's just that London shut the door. Sure. But, it, but music these days is a bit more um, varied, do you think? Just with the people can put their own songs straight on the internet, and so it's it's maybe not uh, so London dominated anymore. Well, it's going to be that, but it's still the the fact that everything is still run from London. You'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. Sure. And um, finally, with the internet, people are are sort of trying to sell their own records on the internet and all the rest of that. Yeah. But they haven't got the power of the big companies. I mean, they've been swallowing each other up. Mm-hmm. Universal buys so many things, Polydor and this, that and the other, uh, Polydor had bought Decca, you know, and you've got all these huge majors, with the, they've got billions of pounds, mm-hmm. and if they want to make a group or kill a group, they can easily do that, mm-hmm. they know how to do it. Why, why do you think the Beatles made it so big compared to some of the other bands around Liverpool at the time? Well, they were pioneers in so many things, you know, mm-hmm. but... Um, one, they had this dynamism which, which happened with their baptism of fire in Hamburg. They were transformed when, when they went to Hamburg because lots of people didn't think much of them. They weren't even known really in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> but that transformed them and the big gig that they did, 28th of December 1960, was at Liverland Town Hall where people, their jaws dropped when they heard right. the sound and, and they're completely different sound and Pete Best created what they call the Atom Beat, mm-hmm. a huge sound that all the other drummers in Liverpool copied, even Ringo Starr. Yeah. And, um, you know, the way they were dressed in black leather mm-hmm. was all sort of different. But then, with the um, writing of the uh, Lennon-McCartney numbers, but basically, by March, and they started appearing, March 61, appearing at the lunchtime sessions at the camp, 
this was another lucky break because they 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 weren't working. Yeah. They left the college and the institute. They had no jobs, and so they could do lunchtime sessions. Lots of the other groups couldn't do it mm. because they were either apprentices or they were working, and they couldn't sort of play at lunchtime. You know. Mm. So the Beatles got this lunchtime residency. And all the kids in the city centre every lunchtime was able to go and see sort of the Beatles, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, they, they were a pretty different band from from where they must have been in, in 1960 to to where they finished up with uh, with Let It Be uh, and and in Abbey Road. Uh, oh sure, and it's the development. During that, it was one whole uh, road of pioneering everything, really creating the music video, creating the album sleeve, creating the major tours at Shea Stadium and all the rest of that. Mm-hmm. Every major, every basic thing that we have in, 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 in the music scene today, the Beatles were pioneers of, they transformed it. So apart from the fact of their sound and the original music, they transformed the entire music scene and everything they did. Mm-hmm. How important do you think the City of Culture year is to Liverpool as a city? The City of Culture year? Yeah, like this this, this year. Is, is it making a big difference to the perception? I, I read that the New York Times quoted it as being the new Barcelona. Um I mean, is it becoming a bit more... In- Obviously, you're down in London well, it yourself. it is, because uh, for, for once, it's getting the publicity put on it to the fantastic things that are there. Yeah. Be- because once again, Liverpool has been ignored. You see, there have been two images of Liverpool. There's the creative side. I'll give you an example. Sure. Liverpool 8. One part of Liverpool 8 is the Dingle, which is like slums, terrace, rows of terraced houses. This is where Ringo Starr, Jerry and the Pacemakers, the foremost, Billy Kramer came from. Mm-hmm. Then just a bit along, still in the Liverpool 8 area, you've got right the upper Parliament each strip area, which they, which they uh, had lots of these big houses which were built by the uh, slave trade people. Yeah. The, the people who benefited from the slave trade built big houses. Now, it was the, 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 the black people, the descendants of the slaves that lived there. It was like a Liverpool Harlem. Yeah. And then just on the other side, Liverpool 8, the third part of Liverpool 8 was the uh, two cathedrals, the Art College, Liverpool Institute, the Philharmonic Hall, you know, a whole dynamic creative thing. So there you had three different things in the one area, you know. Yeah. In fact, the chance recorded an album they called Liverpool 8 as a tribute. The record company refused to allow them to use the name. Really? And they weren't allowed to use the name. No. And it's like um, the the television for, for many, many years has always tried to downgrade Liverpool and put one aspect. I took a television team up when we were in Liverpool and we're going around, took them to Penny Lane and it was a beautiful sunny summer day. There were all the parks and everything. It looked fantastic. And they were all just, oh, no, we're near Let's Find Somewhere. And they were going around, and suddenly they found an alley full of dustbins, and they cheered up and started filming that. Mm. And, the, the, you know, the media liked to put, and it's like even when I did um, one program, Beat City, I was surprised they wanted to find the dumps, the tenements, the broken buildings, the old pubs and everything like that, you know, to give it as a seedy place, a run-down place. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's continued over the years. You even get that Harry Enfield doing his Scousers. Yeah. And everybody thinks that they, they, they come out of Lime Street Station, they'll be stabbed or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. And that has been a, a major image projected now for the first time. Mm-hmm. The show in the culture in Liverpool, the Philharmonic Hall, one of the longest uh, uh, running orchestras in the country, mm-hmm. the great cathedrals we got, um, you know, the three graces at, 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 at the pier head. 
you know, more Georgian buildings and and, and uh, fantastic architectural buildings than anywhere outside of London. Mm-hmm. And and for the first time this year, it's being shown. It's getting shown in the in the light that it, that it should all always have been. Um, yeah. The, 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 from, from the Mersey beat and the Beatles, they're also a bit of a legacy. And, and you can see, obviously, in bands three, even if you look at a band like Oasis, um, they got a lot of Beatle references in them. I mean, I don't know how, you've, you, how you, you think about them, if you're a fan of them or if you think there's maybe too many. Well, I always think Liverpool and Manchester, people try to make out as if they were the big rival things, really, mm-hmm. that they're almost twins, they're close to each other. The two northern cities who've had musical heritage and have helped each other out. And uh, it was Liverpool groups who helped uh, the Oasis at the beginning and Oasis who helped Liverpool bands. Yeah. Uh, people don't realise that, that, that the comrades, these sort of, sort of groups. Yeah. And, and they always have been. You know, even when, uh, you know, all, all the thing was happening in, uh, in Manchester with everyone from Joy Division, the Happy, Monkey, uh, Happy Mondays and everybody like that. You know, there were Liverpool groups and Liverpool acts going up there and, and people like Margie Clark singing in Manchester and things. Sure. And, um, you know, <clears throat> it was Liverpool which inspired uh, Manchester to change from all these old cabaret clubs and strip clubs and start getting picked things like the Three Coins and um, uh, the Manchester Cavern and places like that for the, to, to, so their big groups could grow on their own turf. Sure, because um, I've certainly seen bands like Cast, um, this the Coral supporting Oasis in, in my time. So yes, because um, they get on together. Yeah, they, they kind of work and they've all they're all sort of part of the same musical fabric, maybe sure, or, of yeah. the of the north. But uh, great stuff. Just a couple more. Just uh, obviously Ringo's um, recently he was on and he's not going to be signing more autographs. I imagine the Beatles must have resented a little bit the intrusion into their life from from obviously the fact they were so famous and. There's some footage of Ringo when he's a pretty young guy coming out of his house and it takes him about 20 minutes to get across the road to the, where George Harrison's sitting in the car. And that, that's right, that, that was in that uh, the Mersey Sound BBC documentary, yeah. yeah. It, it must have objected to a little bit, did he? Or, and I think when John... Well, no, I think they realised that. Now, I was with them, when I went with them to the ABC Blackpool, John Lennon and I were sitting in a room mm-hmm. chatting and he looked out the window and he looked down and there was a pub we were on, say, the first one, and he looked down, and he saw the pub, and people were going in the pub, and he told me, oh, God, I just love... If I was only able to do that, I'd go downstairs and have a pint in the pub. And he says, those things we can never do anymore. We're like prisoners, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he understood, and it's like when he said the, the thing for the hard day's night, and somebody said, what's his life like? And he said, it's a room and a room and a train and a plane and a room. You know yeah. what I mean? They did become prisoners for a while, but they found their own things, because... When I was down in London doing all the groups like Pink Floyd and everybody and the Kinks and everything, I uh, used to go to all the clubs. And in fact, I became PR for most of the clubs. And we used to meet the Beatles down in the uh, Scots of St. James, the Speakeasy, the Baganeo clubs. So they were able to then go to these clubs because in the 60s in London, all the artists and people together had their clubs to go to, you know. So they had a certain life within their own community, you know. When they got down to this, this, the swinging set, you must have missed Liverpool yourself when you moved to London. Too busy. I was doing yeah. seven nights a week. Yeah. I was going to every top of the pops, every ready, steady go. Uh, I was going out with the groups every night, you know, going to Marquee Nelly every night, travelling around with the Kinks, the Hollies, 10 years after Jethro Tull, David mm-hmm. Bowie, Procol Harum, all the groups I was PR for. Mm-hmm. Seven nights, we're going out. 
well, six nights a week, because we like to stay in on a Sunday. Right. But for six nights a week, so it was as hectic as Liverpool was. Mm-hmm. And so I was just thrown right in the middle of a new music scene. Mm-hmm. And, and that was it, my, my place every night. We lived in Charing Cross Road, so every night we walked around the corner, we'd be in the Marquee Club. <laughs> we we bid the we go to the Savile Theatre all the shows with with Jimi Hendrix, Fat Stone, I know everybody like that, you know. Yeah, of course. And, and we go to the Isle of Wight Festival, the Reading Festival, the Bath Festival, you know. Yeah. It was just pure, you know, just soaking in so ex- much music. Exactly. Every major concert in London we went to. Yeah. When the Birds made the first appearance, we'd go around with Derek Taylor to see the Birds. When the Enemy concert was on with the Beatles, Cliff Richard, anybody would always go to those. Mm-hmm. So it was. Uh, just non-stop music. And there's been so many written, things written about John Lennon. Um, you know, some of it contradicts you. I don't know what your own sort of memories was of himself. He's, he's obviously a good friend of yours, and uh, you obviously were still in touch when he, when he went to... when he, Right when until he left for America. Mm-hmm. I mean, we used to be in the speakies. I mean, when I went to the Apple Christmas party, that's when he introduced me to Yoko. Sure. Because everything was happening downstairs. I went upstairs, and there's just him and Yoko... Uh, crouched down on the floor mm-hmm. in the middle of this empty room, uh, dressed as mother and father Christmas. That's when he introduced me. Yeah. And then when we used to be the speakeasy, he'd get in his car and invite me and Ginny in the car with him and we'd go down the bag of nails. Sure. So we used to meet in clubs and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I used to go to Apple regularly until John left for the States. And did you have a favourite song of his? Yeah, Strawberry Fields. Strawberry Fields. Yeah. You obviously were were with him at the time. You know, you must have known Strawberry Fields yourself, so it was a personal song to you, I imagine? Or? Yeah, well, well the, the idea was that people had always said originally in the 50s and things like that, oh, you know, uh, the, the American influence was strong, the cultural influence, because, oh, people can't write any songs about British places, horrible names like Scunthorpe and things like yeah. that. Well, they weren't, because we believed that, you know, and of course... The, the Beatles were able to prove with songs like Penny Lane, Strawberry Fields. And in fact, those two numbers were originally to be part of an album mm-hmm. about their childhood in Liverpool. It was The whole album was, was to have the theme of Liverpool. But since uh, George Martin wanted to get a record out quickly, he used those two mm-hmm. uh, as a single. Mm-hmm. and made it a double A side, which he, he admits he made a mistake of. Because by putting it as a double A side, you know, and reached number two and released me, mm-hmm. uh, it was number one. And it kept the Beatles off the, off the number one spot in the charts. So that was the first time they'd failed to go to number one for That's several right, years. Right from, right from a long time. Yeah. And it's, it's uh, ironic that release me was the group that the Liverpool group, the Hillsiders, were discovered and wanted to record. Mm. My last question really is just if you had a favourite sort of memory of that time, in, whether with John or with the Beatles or with the Mersey Beat or just yourself or uh, kind of looking well, it's, back. It's of me and Virginia mm-hmm. going round to every venue, every place. We saw virtually every Beatles performance. But the two of us spent uh, a number of years going almost seven nights a week to every sort of venue. We heard music by hundreds of groups night after night and all the rest of it. It was just like a, 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 a musical exploration. It was just a, living in a world of music, you know? And yeah. I suppose that is the, the memory, the, the total, all the Liverpool groups, all the people I really loved, like Derry Wilkie, Steve Aldo, The Chance, Fans Flamingos, you know, the, the, uh, the Remo Four, the whole host yeah. of talented groups and lots of memories of the ones who were really great who didn't make it. 
That's all for this week and a huge thanks to Bill for his time all those years ago. I can still remember vividly the excitement I had before, during and after recording it. You can read more from Bill about Merseybeat and the Beatles in particular at his website which is triumphpc.com. You can find me on Twitter, I'm at Jamie Hare. Thanks to Keith Hannabird for his work restoring the audio and thanks again to you for listening. I'll be back soon with the next episode of How Did You End Up Here?